we cannot imagine what that would be like. May come to our shores one day. But in the meantime, we must learn brothers and sisters who would be our teachers. We have much to learn from them, don't we? I invite you to take your Bible once again and stand with me. We will read one verse as our text and Lord willing be able to conclude the message this morning from Exodus chapter 20. And if you will stand with me, we are going to read Verse 3. Hear the word of the Lord. You shall have no other gods before me. Pretty simple. Let's pray. Father, again, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. They will never meet us. We will never meet them. We may never even go through in this life what they struggle and suffer with every day. To think that this story that comes out of Korea that these folks have to hide a copy of God's word and yet we may have multiple copies in our houses and can't even read them. What a shame. Lord, help us to learn from our brothers and sisters knowing that your word tells us in the book of Revelation that one day all of these trials will be over and that those who have suffered will receive a crown of life for those who are martyred. And there are many who will be martyred this year and have been every year since the start of the church. So I pray, Lord, that whatever it is that they must endure, that you would not only give them strength to endure, but that you would give them dying grace on the day when they go walk into eternity, but that they would also remember to pray as we should, to pray for those that are considered the enemy, that you would bring many souls to the Lord Jesus Christ through their witness. We thank you that there will be some from every tribe and tongue and people and nation who will gather around the throne of God, who will worship the one who is fairer, who is purer, who is brighter than any sun. We thank you, Lord, for our time today. Help us to understand your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We shared with you last week the beginning of this message and shared with you that we were going to take as we walk the path through Exodus chapter 20. It has really taken us down by the sweet waters that God has given. If you'll hold your place there and turn to Psalm 1, for example. Psalm 1. And again, we mentioned this, but I use this just by way of introduction this morning. In Psalm 1, 
David writes, Blessed or happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and in all that he does he prospers. But the wicked are not so. They are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The commands that God has given to us to obey, while we do not follow, as it were, the Mosaic law, we don't, while we understand the, the law, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt have no other gods before us, these laws were given specifically to the children of Israel. The law that Christ has given to us when he was here on this earth and established, as we find out from Hebrews, is that there is a greater that has come, something that is far superior. We are commanded in the sum total of these 10 commandments that we have, and actually much more than that, 613 commands that have been given throughout the Old Testament is this. Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your strength. And the second is likened to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these hang all the law and the prophets. And as we come to the scriptures and we understand, we seek to understand these Ten Commandments, why would they have been given? Uh, Brother Al, I keep referring to this because he keeps using some of my notes, I think, on a Sunday morning in Sunday school class. But when he was standing this morning and he was sharing from Daniel chapter 9, we look at what happened with Israel. Why would God give the commands to a people that he knew were not going to obey him? I mean, it's just, it's constant. Every time you turn around with the children of Israel, they're doing something wrong. They're murmuring, they're complaining, they're whatever it is that's going on in their life. He even mentioned that there's some guy who told him, and I've actually had somebody tell me that as well. When we get to heaven, we're going to have a word with Adam and we're just going to ask him why he just messed everything up. And you know, the reality is, if it was us, we would have done the exact same thing because the propensity in our lives is to rebel against who? The Most High God. No matter where we're at, no matter what we're doing within our lives, and we've tried to instruct this to our children, for example, as they grow up, the older you get, the more rules there are. You know, kids think that, oh man, it's terrible. Mom and dad place all these restrictions on me and all these rules. And boy, I just can't wait till I'm an adult and I get out on my own and I can do whatever I want to. <laughs> Anybody drive this morning? Okay. Uh, the, the, the DMV manual is actually not one page. It's actually multiple pages in a book form to be able to cover all the possibilities that you're supposed to know and learn in order to be able to have the privilege of driving. For example, you drive from here into town and the speed limit is 55 miles an hour from here until about a mile down the road where it changes to 40. At what point, now I don't want anybody to confess here, okay, but at what point does the speed limit are the odometer in your car or the, the speedometer in your car supposed to be registering 40 when you get to Dasbog? 
when you get to Albertsons? I know nobody here drives more than 40 miles an hour past the sign. But that's the way it's supposed to be, right? That's the command, that's the order that is given to us. And if we go past that and we're doing more than that and a policeman comes up and we have a little blue light special, what is the policeman going to say? What's that? Yeah, no, he ain't going to say good driving. If he stops us and we're actually doing 55 when we pass Dasbog and Maverick down here at the first light that we, or the second light now that we get to, he's going to pull us over it and he's going to say the speed limit changed to 40 way back there. And when we come to the word of God, in whatever aspect it is within our lives that we are dealing with, whether it's the husband-wife relationship, whether it's the relationship with our children, whether it's a relationship with our work, whether it's a relationship with, with uh, college or whatever it may be, because we've got some college students over here still, whatever that relationship is that we are dealing with, the law that was established by God was set by him, not by us. We can't plead ignorance. A lot of people would try to do that. They would say, well, I didn't see the sign. I didn't. That doesn't give us an excuse for why we're not following the law that has been established. This is the speed limit. You must follow it. So when we stand before God, Romans chapter 1 tells us that it has, it has been built into the heart and the conscience of every person in regards to what God expects from us, and that is holiness. Holiness before God, without which we will not see God. Now the problem is we're getting ready to come to the table. Here in just a few minutes, we're going to celebrate the, the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ the first time. We're going to celebrate the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ came. He was the perfect sacrifice. But here's part of the problem. If we come to the table this morning and we're doing so in a way that we think we have a right to do this or that somehow this is owed to us as Christians, you don't understand biblical Christianity. Because if we were going to be if we were going to follow the word of God and we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where it reminds us that we are to examine our hearts, every one of us have a responsibility to examine our hearts today, right now, during this service, in order to be able to partake. Because if it was based on your worthiness and mine, there are approximately, I think there are a total of 73 cups in these are in here and 73 pieces of bread over here. And when we get to the end of the service today, if you think it's based on your worthiness, there are going to be 73 cups when they go back downstairs and 73 pieces of bread. Because none of us are worthy to partake. We come and we're able to partake because of the fact that Jesus Christ bore our penalty on the, on the cross because he knew that we couldn't fulfill the law, so somebody had to fulfill it on our behalf. And then the great exchange took place, which we read of in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is what salvation is. 
We have shared this with you before. If somebody comes up and they ask you, listen, if you were to die today and you were to stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? If your answer begins in the first person with you, you don't know Jesus. You say, well, that's pretty harsh. I think I'm a good person. I'm a good moral person. I've kept all the laws. That's what the rich young ruler said to Jesus. I've done all of these things. I've kept them from my youth up. What do I lack? And Jesus went right to the heart of the issue and told him the problem was that he had another God before him. And we're all in that camp. We're all in that category. We all have something before the Lord Jesus Christ until the Holy Spirit comes and fills our hearts with longing, knowing that we stand separated from the Lord Jesus Christ and he saves us. And then we come and we bow in worship and adoration, singing the songs of Zion, listening to the words of scripture to be able to say, thank you, Lord, for what we can partake of today. This is the wonder of the Lord's table. It's not because of me. Any one of the men could come up here and to be able to have a prayer over over the elements, to be able to pass them out. That's not what the issue is. The issue is where is our heart? Are there things that we struggle with? Are there sins that we deal with in our life? Absolutely. But again, we mentioned this in our prayer at the beginning of the service, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, we then confess those sins and we partake joyfully knowing that we have been forgiven. No true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here, but no true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ should ever shun the table of the Lord. We should be able to come, sit down, and every time we see this, from the time we walk in, when I, when I begin, I started setting out the glasses. I don't put the, 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 the grape juice or anything in them in the evening, but I get the cups ready and I get the plates ready on a Saturday night. It's a privilege for me to be able to do that because it is a reminder of what's coming today. And when we finish partaking of this, it is one less time that we will fill these cups and partake together before the Lord Jesus Christ returns. And yet when we come, the question we have to ask ourselves is this, do we love God first? This is really what he's asking us. This is really what the Bible is commanding from us is, do you love God? How much do you love God? We talked with the men yesterday in the men's breakfast. And I shared with them what God requires from us in regards to his will is after we come to salvation, it is that we are sanctified, that we are set apart. We are living a life of holiness. That takes accountability. That takes a willingness and a desire to, to be willing to call up somebody like Brother Mike for me to call him or for him to call me or for us to call Galen or Brother Kurt or my dad or whoever it may be and talk with them and say, hey, brother, or the ladies to call one another, sister, I'm struggling with something. Can you please pray with me because I want to be right with my God. Do you know why we don't do that though? Because unfortunately, too often, we have been programmed in our minds to think that if somebody knows something about us, that somehow they won't love us anymore. Do you realize that the issue is not about whether we love you or you love us? It's about whether we have been loved by God. 
And if we have been loved by God, he's the one that sets the standard. He's the one that sets the goal. He's the one that demands holiness from us. And because of that, he's also the only one that can forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we come together and these are passed among you and you take that cup and you take that bread and you're holding that, do you realize that what you are saying to those who are sitting around you is that I love my God? That's what you're saying when you hold that. You're saying, I love him so much, I will follow him wherever he leads me. I will follow wherever he wants me to go, I will go. The Lord Jesus Christ brought these commands that we have in Exodus 20 down to the two. And the command that we have here in verse 3, though, actually sets the stage for the other nine. Loving God first. If we love God first, we will not want to do the other things that are mentioned in these verses. If you remember, we looked and we saw firstly the strength of his power. Isaiah chapter 63, verse 1. Who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength? I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save, it is me, says the Lord. Again, we learned about that this morning in the Sunday school class. Uh, we find that, that Israel had to be taken away or the children of Judah had to be taken away to Babylon for a period of 70 years. Why? Because they had violated the land that God had given them. The land was polluted. And yet even before they were taken away, there were events, as we mentioned last week, when the king of Assyria comes to Jerusalem and his spokesperson stands and says, where are all the other gods? Where are the gods of Syria? Where are the gods of Damascus? Where are the gods of whatever? They didn't protect their people. And yet, that very night, the Bible tells us that God killed 185,000 enemy soldiers. Nothing is too hard for God. We learn, secondly, the singleness of his person. The children of Israel were commanded to have a ribbon of blue that surrounded the bottom of their garments and it was to be a remembrance so that all would look and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. Do you remember what James says? Do not just be hearers of the word, but be doers. This is what the children of Israel were commanded to do. You can have the widest like the Pharisees did in Jesus' day. Theirs was not sufficient just to have a little ribbon of blue. They had to have a big one. It wasn't enough that they were given 10% of their money. They had to give 10%. There's nine kernels of corn for me and one for God. There's nine pieces of wheat for me and one piece for God. And you know what Jesus told them? You tithe of all of these things. You're counting your tea leaves down to the tenth. And the problem is that your heart is far from me. They were to look and to remember. And, and when we look at one another, the question that I have to ask myself is, do others see Jesus in me? Do others see that ribbon of blue that God requires in our lives so that when they see us, they say, yes, there is a man who walks with Jesus. Not perfectly. We understand that. 
I mean, whether it's whether you're you're, you're stuck out there in some uh, you know in some country. I think our it did. It just died. here but it may need to be switched out for the so when people look at me do they see Jesus do they see Jesus in you do they see somebody who is willing to do and obey the commands that God has established so that we are not seeking after what is in our own heart Jeremiah makes it very clear the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things who can know it and yet people want to follow their heart. They want to trust their heart. The singleness of his person. We then looked at the solitariness of his path. Matthew chapter 7. Wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and narrow is the way which leads to life, and few find it. Again, this was one of the things that we concluded with at the end of the message last week. But notice it is not the solitariness of the gate, but of the path. We walk through one at a time. There's a hymn, maybe you've sung it in the past. There's room at the cross for you. And when we come to the cross, we come one at a time. My parents didn't come and they can't be saved for me or on my behalf. We have to come to the Lord Jesus Christ individually and have a personal relationship with Him. But there are also times that we are walking that path. Some of you may be familiar with the, foot, with the poem Footprints in the Sand. And there are times that we walk and we realize that there's only one set of footprints and we complain because we think that we're walking by ourselves and as the poem says, those are the times that I carried you, says the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's still a solitary path. And while the Lord Jesus Christ, Hebrews chapter 4, tells us and reminds us that, that there are things that we have going on in our lives, he was tempted just like we are in every way, yet without sin. The narrow way is, is one that requires us to keep our eyes focused on the cross. If you have ever worked on a farm or worked with animals, what do you put on an animal to be able to keep them walking the right direction? Bridle. Bridle. Yeah, but what else? What else do they have? Blinders. blinders. What are the blinders there for? So they don't see to the side. So they don't see to the side. So that there's nothing that's distracting them. This, my friend, is the blinders that you and I need. We need the blinders of God's word to be able to keep us from being distracted from the world. It doesn't matter whether you're out in LaGrange at college. It doesn't matter whether you're working. It doesn't matter whether you're sitting at home. You can find the evil one, your flesh, the world will find some way to be able to get your attention and distract you from Jesus. God's path for the children of Israel was that they were to go into the promised land. 
The law of God reminded them that nobody else could walk down that path, that God had called them, not because they were the greatest, but because they were the smallest. They were one of the most insignificant. And yet if they strayed from that path, they paid the price. Again, 70 years. We have a period of time of approximately 430 years of silent years between the last writing in the book of Malachi and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1. The children of Israel had come so far to the point where they were worshiping God before. They then stopped worshiping Him. They began to worship the other gods and the idols that were around them. What happened? They were taken out of the land. They were then graciously allowed to come back to the land. And after they came back to the land, what happened to them? They substituted God for religion. You see, by the time the Lord Jesus Christ came on the scene, they they were quibbling over how many steps they could take on a Sabbath day. They were arguing whether it was okay to divorce your wife because she burnt the toast. Those are the things that they were discussing. These are the things, and there was two main groups of rabbis who were discussing and breaking these things down, and they would argue with one another. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, you're nothing more than whitewashed sepulchers. We must remember that we are aliens in a foreign land. This world truly is not our home. We should just be desirous of passing through. As as you said this morning in the Sunday school class, we can pray for one position, but on the other hand, we need to prepare for what may be coming when it comes to the return of the Lord. But at the end of the day, think about this lady, this Christian sister, Bay, in North Korea. Can you imagine living that kind of life and still being thankful to the Lord Jesus Christ every day? And that's what brings sunshine into her heart is because she sees Hanonim, the North Korean word for the Lord Jesus. We complain when we turn on the water and it doesn't get hot fast enough. We complain because we go to the store and they don't have our particular brand or loaf of bread that we want. They would be thankful just to have a loaf of bread. You see, it's about perspective, isn't it? We find, fourthly, the sovereignty of his position. We looked at this last week from Daniel chapter 4, verses 35 to 37. If you ever have any questions about whether God is sovereign or not, read those three verses and you will see what God says about himself. And these, this actually comes from a heathen king, Nebuchadnezzar, who's been put out to pasture. Listen to these words, Daniel chapter 5, or Daniel chapter 4. You know the account. Daniel pats himself, or Nebuchadnezzar pats himself on the back. And God says, it's time for you to go eat some grass. And at the end of this time, these days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. My reason returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand or say to him, him, what have you done? 
Anybody know here what it takes to be able to train a CNI dog? How long it takes? Does anybody have any ideas? Okay. Two years. It's actually three. Do you know the hardest command to train a dog, a CNI dog, the hardest command for them to learn? No. Look up. Because that dog is down here and you're going to be walking, if you are blind, you're going to be walking into objects, but that dog is trained to be able to look up so that they can judge the height of their master so that their master doesn't hit those objects. It's the hardest thing for a dog to learn to look up because they are automatically they look down with their nose to the ground. Now, we live in a fallen world and there are a lot of things in the world that are going to catch your attention if our eyes are only on the gutters. God wants us to keep our eyes on him and it is work. Romans chapter 12 I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God present your bodies a living sacrifice don't be conformed to the world don't keep your eyes down here because I guarantee if you keep your eyes down here if you're looking at the world the world is going to disappoint you I'm going to disappoint you you're going to disappoint one another but keeping our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ will help us to recognize the fact that he is sovereign but yet we go down the road we struggle with whatever it is that's going on in our life. We wake up in the morning, we walk out, we have a flat tire and we want to start complaining. And yet it may be that God allowed that, well obviously he did, allowed that flat tire so that maybe he might get our attention. We somehow think we're in control and yet here we have again in Daniel chapter 4 we have a king, the one who self-styled himself as the king of kings and he's eating grass like a cow. Fifthly, we find the safety of his provisions. Numbers chapter 14, verse 9. Rebel not against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed for them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. Oh, my friends, if, if you and I were to live by those same rules, by those same principles, and we were not to fear what was going on in the world, if we don't fear what the media has to say, if we don't fear what the government has to say, Think about the early days of the New Testament church. The, the disciples were taken in before the government and the government said, if you don't listen to us, if you don't stop preaching about this Jesus, we're going to beat you. And the disciples, what did they say? We ought to obey God rather than man. The Lord is with us. We do not need to fear the world. We do not need to fear or wonder about those when we go out to eat. For example, you, we should be bowing our heads in praise and giving thanks as a family or whoever it is that you're with and say, Lord, thank you for the food. Thank you for the provisions. Don't worry about what other people around you think. We should be more concerned about our Heavenly Father and whether we're going to sit there and enjoy that meal without giving him thanks and taking it for granted or whether we're going to actually take a stand before the world and say, here I stand, I can do no other. 
Proverbs chapter 14, verse 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. You know, following God is not drudgery. We may think it is sometimes, but the only time we really think that it's drudgery is when there's some kind of sin in our life that we don't want to get rid of. It is a joy to serve a God who cares. The law was simply there for the children of Israel so that it could point them to the safety of God, but they ignored it. Galatians says that the law was a schoolmaster to point us to Christ, and boy, what a terrible schoolmaster it was. Think about what God did for the children of Israel. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes didn't wear out. Now, some of you who are parents, I mean, you might think that would have been a great deal. You know, not have to take the kids down every six months or nine months or whatever to be able to buy another pair of sandals. Clothes that lasted while they were walking through the children of Israel, or while they were walking, the children of Israel were walking to the promised land. And yet God said, not only will I keep your clothes and shoes from wearing out, but I'm not going to allow your enemies to attack you. Number six, we find the supremacy of his presence. God's people have the responsibility to live by God's word. Listen to Exodus chapter 33. Moses is speaking and he says, my presence, or God says to Moses, my presence shall go with you. I will give you rest. And Moses responds, if your presence does not go with me, then carry us not up from here. Would that we, you and I, live that way in our lives every single day, that we could get up in the morning, look ourselves in the mirror, look in the mirror of God's word and say, God, if you you don't want me to go somewhere today, just take this away from me. Moses received the law, but knew it wasn't enough to keep them in line. They needed God's abiding presence. Even the disciples knew this. They wanted to go when Jesus did, but instead, what did he do? He says, I'm going to send you a comforter. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit to be able to guide you into all truth. He will abide with you forever. Is God supreme? Do we recognize his presence? Can we open up the pages of scripture? You know, this. we speak of the scarlet thread that goes from the book of Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 all the way through Revelation chapter 22 verse 21 when John the apostle writes and he says, even so come quickly the Lord Jesus. The entire Bible points to Jesus. This is our guide. This is what we're to follow. The world will offer you all kinds of things. I've said this to the young people. Young people, the world will offer you whatever it may be. It may be sex or drugs or alcohol or or relationships. Whatever it may be that the world will offer you, it will in order to try to get you to take your eyes off of Jesus. We find then the salvation of his people. We mentioned this a couple of Sundays ago or a couple of Wednesdays ago. Nehemiah chapter 9. Listen to verse 2 and verse 3. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers. 
They stood and confessed their sins. They confessed the iniquities of their fathers. They stood up in their place and they read in the book of the law there of the, the law of the Lord their God, one fourth part of the day, and another fourth they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. Wow. I would love to have been there to be able to see that. Is it any wonder that God brought revival to the children of Israel when they were spending that kind of time? Honestly, we often struggle sometimes, whether it's in prayer, whether it's in Bible study, whether it's reading our Bibles, whether it's in fellowshipping with one another. I want to encourage you this morning as we consider what the salvation means for his people. We should be preparing for eternity. If, if you think as a believer, if you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, if you think that your entire Christianity is summed up on a Sunday morning for one hour, you don't know the Bible. Yes, it's good to come to service. Yes, it's, it's good to be in fellowship, but it's more than that. It's living our entire lives. We, we shouldn't have to be wondering and living in fear, wondering whether our kids are going to follow the Lord. We have several young people. We've been praying for young people in this church for a while, and, and to see the young people, the new young ladies that are here, even the baby, James, you know, this is, this is wonderful. This, this is an answer to prayer. But folks, we shouldn't be worried or concerned that these kids are not going to have an understanding of the truth of Scripture because we should all be living it in such a way that any one of those kids should be able to come up and say, I see Jesus in you. Parents, our kids should be seeing Jesus in us. Grandparents, your grandchildren should be seeing Jesus. And if your kids are not following God, tell your grandchildren what it means to follow Jesus. Be that example. Don't worry about what mom and dad have to say. Be more concerned about what God has to say. Share with them the wonder. Take them back into the scripture. Read passages like Psalm 136 that says... The fear of the Lord and the mercy of the Lord endures forever. Take them back into the Old Testament and show them what happened when Israel didn't follow God and when they did. Take them into the New Testament and show them what the commands of Christ mean to follow God today. And then leave the results with Him. We find then the security of his pardon. We talked about 1 John 1, 9, being forgiven by God, knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ has taken our sin upon himself, made it possible for us to be forgiven so that when God the Father looks down, he doesn't see us in our sin anymore if we are a believer. He sees us as forgiven. Listen to Numbers chapter 14, verse 19. Pardon, I beseech you, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of thy mercy and as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. 
What a privilege to realize who our God is. What a privilege to know that He chooses us freely by His grace. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, Solomon prayed to dedicate the temple. The law was presented, sacrifices were offered, the glory of God descended, the priests couldn't stand before the awe and majesty of God. And Solomon reminded his heart and the hearts of the people, if you will follow God, he will bless. There may be times when we have all heard 2 Chronicles chapter 7, 14. He reminded the people, and while this applies specifically to the children of Israel, the principles are still there, calling on his name, praying, seeking his face, humbling ourselves, repenting from their wicked ways. Then he will hear from heaven and forgive their sin. The principles are still the same in the New Testament, praying to God and asking him to forgive us repenting, turning away from our wicked ways. The law set the standard. And only when we understand what this means can we even begin to comprehend the security of his pardon. You see, God didn't save you to turn you loose at some point. He saved you forever. The first command set the tone for the other nine. You will have no other gods before me means in every and any area of life at any time and for any reason. Meditating in the law of God, which is what we are called and commanded to do, meditating in it day and night by the aid of the Holy Spirit will reveal to us our great need for humility and for repentance. And for the believer, loving God first is not an option. Loving God first is a command. Whether it was for the Old Testament Israelites or whether it's for us as the New Testament church. We must love Him. And you will find, I'll leave you with this encouragement, you will find that if you love God first and you will seek after righteousness as Matthew chapter 6 reminds us, all these other things will be added unto you. We don't have to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow takes care of itself. We can cast all our cares upon him because he cares for us. But we have to know and we have to teach those who come after us because all it takes is one generation to walk away from God. If you go to countries in Europe, there was a time when many churches used to at least talk about God. They would preach about God. Now you have churches, for example, in England, in the Anglican church, and, and most of the people who are in the Anglican church had never even heard the gospel message. Less than one half of 1% of people in England even go to church of any kind today. And we're not that far behind here in America. How much do you love God? Is He supreme? Is he preeminent, the first and only, or is he just prominent? Father, as we partake of the Lord's table this morning, may we be reminded once again of the sacrifice of your son. Thank you that we can partake of this together.
one more time until you return, but one less time. We do not know whether any of us or who will of amongst us will be here next time. It may be that you take some of us out into eternity. May we be ready and prepared for that day. And to have a heart that is full of rejoicing because we have sought to love you even though imperfectly, even though with sin, maybe even on a daily or hourly basis. But we give ourselves to you once again. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.